We're live. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host. I'm here with my co-host, my partner in all things law enforcement. What's up? The very handsome Bill Cannon. Oh, thanks. You forgot that. You haven't been saying that recently. Yeah. I, I really needed that to keep my ego up, you know? <laughs> you got a great guest tonight, Bill. <laughs> I know. Uh, so he was referred to me by a guy who was in the sister company. I was in 8548 in the academy. And he was in 8547, Mark who I've known for so, so long. And his dad was a first-grade detective in the 2-0 squad. So I've known him for a long time. All right. Uh, yeah, so I'll introduce him. Our guest tonight is a retired NYPD police officer. Um, and uh, if you think he <laughs> he quit a hard job, he went on to get an even a tougher job. Uh, don't ask me why he's doing this right now. But uh, he's a currently a global crisis communication strategist. Um, Mark, look at that headshot on the screen, man. He's, yeah, a, yeah. he's a handsome guy, too, huh? Yeah, he's a, he, hey, listen, I watched some of the oh, videos. Um, he's oh, a media, man. what does he call it? He's branded. He's a media expert, okay? Um, and he's here tonight to join us. He's got the toughest job in the world. He represents or tries to come in and um, shine a positive light uh, for law enforcement whenever they get involved in a heavy shooting or a, a major case. And uh, they call him the fixer. Rob, the fixer, Tufano, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh. Well, there's some branding if I ever heard it. Look at you guys, man. I mean, the work that you're doing is incredible. Uh, great intro. Mark uh, Mark Mullitz, uh, just a, a gentleman, uh, Bill, uh, with no doubt, and uh, happy that he was able to get this coordinated. I've been watching from afar in, uh, in sunny, not so sunny tonight, uh, North Carolina, and uh, you guys are doing tremendous work. A big fan. Thank big you fan. so much. You know, it's I'm funny, here. Rob, you use the same expression. I, I think ESU is going to sue you. You know the expression when ESU says, <laughs> when the public needs help, they call the police. When the police need help, they call ESU. And on your bio, it says, when the police need help. Is that right? Yeah, they yeah. <laughs> they call Rob Tofano. I'm like, what? <laughs> took a little creative license there, you know? Just, you throw in the word departments right after yeah. that. When police departments need help. Yeah, and what you think that keeps, that gives me a little wiggle room there? Is that what you're thinking? I think yeah, it's just an extra word. But I'm a I'm a word connoisseur. That's what yeah. I do for a living. Yeah, I may have to take uh, I you know I have to take some of that advice. Like, the last thing I need more attorneys sniffing around. We, no, no, it, 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 listen, it, no, nobody. I don't. I doubt any. That's not a real thing, is it? <laughs> I mean, that's just like a. No, in this day and age, you don't know what the hell anymore. So you know, better safe, safe than sorry, and just exercise. Out of an abundance of caution, for sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Mark, I want to show uh, – this is from Rob's website. And just to show a little bit uh, about what he does in his in his uh, job. And we're going to put him on the screen with this, with this video. And uh, we're going to add him to the screen now, and he's going to uh, talk to us. This develops publicly in law enforcement. You better believe that a lot hangs in the balance public perception, community trust. How about that police department's brand, their reputation? I'm Rob Tofano with Tofano Media, and our team has managed some of the most high-profile crises that develop in law enforcement. Officer-involved shootings, in-custody deaths, or any other type of crisis that develops that has the potential to impact a police department's brand and reputation, our people positioned to help them strategically manage it. We at Tafano Media, we work exclusively with law enforcement. We know law enforcement. That's because we are law enforcement. Hey, uh, no offense, Rob, but all I kept thinking about when I'm watching the whole thing is this guy spends a lot of time in the gym. <laughs> oh, look at you, man. It's just keep going. Right? Guy, look at the arms on this guy. You know, something I was thinking that he's taking acting lessons because that was like a monologue, man. I was almost crying. I was almost ready to start crying. All you know? the words yeah. were, just white noise. <laughs> were just white noise in the background. I'm like, look at his arms. Look at, his, look at how tight, look at that jacket, the way it's taken in. Man, I wonder what he does. <laughs> hey, I got a hell of a tailor. You know, I, I, what can I say? You know, Miss J. Cross trainer. So yeah, so uh, that's a it's an interesting occupation. How'd you get involved in this? Uh, you know, how, how did you transition into media 
from yeah, wild, you know, how twisty. many times did you do in the police department? I only did 11, you know, just on the, on the fringe of 11, I got on in, in 90 and uh, went right to Midtown South over on West 35th street. And uh, uh, I was fortunate. I wound up in a, in a, in a, uh, in, a in an RP in a, in a, in a sector and gosh, it was only a couple of months and that was unheard of. You know, you wound up in Midtown South, the, you know, the country club and, you know, strong likelihood you're going to be in a foot post for a couple of years and not a steady foot post, but I, but I got fortunate. Bill, I'm sorry to tell you, Bill, uh, I think yeah. we have somebody who, whose balls were dipped in butter here. Oh yeah. No, he's, he's, he's dripping butter. One command that's one up from the South is the North. The North is all the big bosses kids, you know? Yeah. Uh, hello, this is chief. So-and-so Megan needs off tomorrow. Give her yeah. off sergeant. Yeah. Right? Yeah, maybe it was just the luck of the draw. I don't know how the hell it happened. You know, I'll tell you what. what yeah, yeah, the luck of the draw. So what happened then? This yeah, you know, to do a little time there, and uh, yeah, I think it was in Washington. You guys remember the Washington High Triads? Yes. You know, yeah, that, that off just a couple of years, and you know, they they mobilized us and, and they sent us up there. And uh, I think that was a real turning point for me. And you know, with the job, um, started really paying close attention because we were up there for several nights. You know, during that whole disaster. And I, I was really just keeping a keen eye on the way the media was covering that whole thing. And uh, they, it, it seemed to me at the time that they never missed an opportunity, they, the, the, the press, to kind of put a wedge between the cops and the community. You know, uh, and, and it, it, it broke your heart. You're up there and you're seeing this day, you know, night in and night out, you know, people losing their businesses and, you know, property being destroyed. And then we're talking, you know, we're not talking millionaires. These are, you know, these are blue collar people that are just trying to keep their businesses afloat, busting their asses to, you know, to make, to make it work. And uh, the, you, the press just never missed an opportunity to put this wedge there. And I'm watching this coverage and the way that it was, you know, just covered in the press. I'm like, it's, it's disingenuous. It's, it looks like, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's all driven by um, their agenda to divide. And uh, that always stuck with me and um, had some opportunities years later um, having met some some folks that that kind of helped me get some uh, you know some headway and getting my foot into a door uh, with some internships in the press because it intrigued me following the Washington Heights thing. Um, we had to get a gig at the Fox News Channel as a, as a writer, and uh, they they liked they liked me there and allowed me to start going out with some reporters and and putting really? stories together that didn't go on air. But what were you me, I'm sorry, what were you writing? Just copy for the, for the programs. There, was, there used to be a program called the, the Fox News Edge back in the day. It was like a, a, a police copy? magazine. What's that? Police copy? No, it was straight up just your your garden variety headlines and you know current events that that were kind of you know coming in daily. And um, I mean, it wasn't anything glorious or sensational, but I always had a I always had a, a pretty good ability to write, and, and they liked it. And then they gave me opportunities to kind of do some on camera stuff as practice, you know, as a favor. I was coming in on my own time after hours and put what they call a resume tape together. And it, essentially it's just me on camera showing some range and different things that I could do. And then you, the, the, the end game is you start, you start mailing these things out, these tapes. And uh, I did, you know, I, I sent a few out never to, to affiliates around the country that are looking for news reporters. And, you know, I got lucky. I mean, right out of the gate, I was getting calls. And uh, I get my, my first. So you retired from the job at this point. Yeah, I'm done. Now I'm done. I'm just, I'm out. Now, now, Rob, did you vest or you just left? No, I, I retired. I, I took an early retirement. And wow. that means my pension didn't kick in until my 20th. So, no, here I am going. No, So, I mean, the, the kicker is you know, everybody thinks you, know, you, you get into the media and you're making this windfall. I, I guess I was making maybe 50 with overtime when I was leaving the job at, at uh, you know, uh, um, almost 11 years. Brand new baby at home on Long Island. Um, had to come home and tell the wife I'm leaving the job and I'm starting a, a career in media now. I'm going to going to make seventeen one seven seventeen thousand dollars a year wow. uh, in Binghamton, New York. That's where I start. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right of all places. You dragged her. You dragged her up there with the baby. She didn't even make it. She didn't even make it up there. I was smart enough not to sign a contract because most of them try to get you locked into these contracts when you when you start at these television stations, and I, I wouldn't sign a contract which allowed me to leave whenever I wanted. And as soon as I got there, I started sending more tapes out. And uh, I got picked up in uh, in Roanoke, 
Virginia, Roanoke, Lynchburg, Virginia, right in the buckle of the Bible Belt, and left within six months of, of um, uh, when I was in Binghamton, headed up, uh, headed down to Virginia, spent five, six years there as a, as a crime reporter, as a, uh, did some anchoring there uh, before I get a gig in, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Big market. It is a big market, top 20 market. And that's where you start making the jack when you, when you get to these bigger markets. And um, doing my thing here. Stayed in the, in the media business for about, about 10 years. And I'll tell you, uh, one night uh, we're, we're the, the, the assignment to is what they call spot news. I didn't have any ideas to bring to the table. And that means essentially that they're going to, my assignment editor is going to send me out on spot news. I got a scanner surf. And this is the night that it turned for the media. I'm listening, wait for something to develop. And uh, a double shooting comes out in West Charlotte. And that happens a lot. You know, you think of the South, but, but, but Charlotte's been off the chain for, for several years with violent crime. And uh, I race out there with my videographer in the, in the news truck and we get out there. And uh, as soon as I get out of the truck, one of the sergeants out there on the scene says, like, yeah, what are you guys hearing that there's a shooting out here? We're like, yeah. He's like, ah, you know, it's a fugazi, unfounded. You know, you may as well just get back in the, in the truck and forget about it. And here's the night of change. I, I get back in the truck and I'm, I'm going to be straight up. I look at my videographer and he looks at me and I'm, I'm freaking disappointed. I'm disappointed that I didn't have anything to cover that night. Sure. And, and I mean, now, I mean, I, I don't delight in saying it. it you know, it's uh, it's not anything I'm proud of, but I get home that night and I get on the patio and, you know, I get home at like midnight because I'm working the 11 o'clock show. And I'm thinking, I'm like, dude, am I, if, if this is what I've devolved into so far down on the food chain where I'm pulling for a fucking double shooting just so I have something to put on TV and get my face out there on television at night, then, then clearly it's time to think about a, a career change. And um, uh, that was the night it turned. I, I started making moves to, to get out and, and, and I did get out. And I'll tell you that that business is a meat grinder. You know, it, you, you think it's, you know, the money's good and, you know, the exposure and notoriety is, is all fine. But, you know, the temptation of, you know. The well, you know, Rob, if I could just stop you for a second. Um, we've seen in the last, uh, just say the last five days, we had the shooting in Atlanta, yep. which they so wanted it to be a bias incident. The press so wanted it to be. They wanted it to be that anti-Asian bias crime. And when it turned out not to be, they were really disappointed in that. And then we had the shooting in um, Boulder, Colorado, where they wanted to jump on the fact that this is a male white. And then when it turned out to be a male Syrian, they didn't know what to do with themselves. No, and no. not just the press, but the other, the progressive politicians didn't know what to do. Yeah, They really did not know what to do because it did not fit their narrative. That's disgusting, you know? No, it's disgusting, but, you know, not surprising. And and look, I, I uh, and maybe I'm in the minority, I, I, I believe it in the profession of journalism. I think it's an important profession. I think they wield enormous influence, but they also need to wield enormous responsibility. And, uh, and I'm going to be, let, you know, very honest. I've been more than under-impressed with the state of that profession o over the last year or so. I mean, I think it's a, a ver that line has become so blurred now between journalism and activism that you can't differentiate uh, be between the two, and th and that's and that's disappointing. Rob, I want you to watch this, and this is what I'm talking about a little bit. I'm going to put this on the screen, and excuse, wait, hang on one second. I just screwed it up. Uh, I want to share this on the screen, and this has to do with the Boulder, Colorado shooting. And um, this is going to be the chief speaking, and you could see how upset she is. Can you guys hear it? Oh, no. I also want to commend the heroic actions of the officers responding not only from Boulder PD, but from across the county and other parts of this region. Police officers' actions felt nothing short of being heroic. I also want to thank the men and women who responded, including state, local, and federal authorities. Obviously, this is a very complex investigation that will take no less than five days to complete. And again, my heart goes out to the victims of this 
incident. And I'm grateful for the police officers that responded. And I am so sorry about the loss of Officer Tally. And again, we will be here working night and day. Heartbreaking, right? Yep. Wrenching, heart wrenching. And, you know, it's like it's those things that we as the police, we see and politicians or the press, they can't appreciate. You know, here's a chief. I'm sure she's got a lot of years on the job. She's no kid. She's practically in tears because one of her cops was killed, you know, and it's just and getting the word out to the public, which is what you do. It's so important, and it's not just putting a spin on it. It's get, putting it out there correctly so that it it doesn't do damage to the police department. Yeah, and to see that kind of emotion, I, let's and let's face it, guys, we've all been around a little while. You know, that's that's a, a departure from what we customarily see when you see a you know police chief or a sheriff get out there. You know, where, from the time we walk into the training academy, we're we're kind of wired that you know you don't editorialize. You you know, it's just the facts, ma'am. Keep it. You know, keep it airtight and uh, to see someone display that kind of emotion like that is just a departure from what we, what we historically see. But 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 it's that kind of emotion that really grabs the attention of society. Um, you know, we could spit out data and we could spit out facts and, and that, don't get me wrong. All that kind of stuff's important. You want to uh, want to start to shape a narrative and uh, advance a uh, a story and capture the attention of people and get traction you have to have some kind of emotion attached to it and uh, and, and that wasn't manufactured i don't know this woman chief harold uh but it, it seemed uh, genuine and uh I, I think a lot of people were moved. i mean i was it's the first time i've seen that it, it was in your media campaign you would use that. that that's great footage for you right uh, absolutely but why would it be and why shouldn't the world see that no i'm just saying i mean if you were if you had that campaign right now um that would be good. That'd be good footage for you. Oh, it'd be incredible. Are you saying if I was still on the media side and, and I was covering well, it as a that's what your company does, right? If that was in a, if that wasn't a good shooting, but you had some type of emotion, whatever, you know what I'm saying? That's good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, look, and it's a, to a really neat, a bit of a needle thread. You never want to manufacture any of that. Cause I, that you, I think you lose credibility there. It's just anything that's, that's disingenuous, but you don't want to squelch that either. And trying to get law enforcement out of their comfort zone and out of their box a little bit and show some emotion and show some relatability and a human side, that's what advances narratives and that's what shapes public perception. And it's and it's and it's different. It's a, it really is a departure from us. It's not anything we're accustomed to. We're not accustomed to communicating that way. We look, we could have all these slick campaigns about how we got to humanize this and humanize that and start social media accounts and do fucking hokey pokey campaign dances to show that we're human. How about we just start acting like we're human once in a while, right? Just acting relatable when we communicate, right? When we're out there out there publicly, not be afraid to show some vulnerability and, and, and some emotion. Maybe then society will start seeing those of us in the profession as relatable and as human, you know, that, and that's just my, my, my two cents on that. You know, Rob, I want to show you this video too, and you'll see how the NYPD responded to it and, and not a spin, but let me just uh, get this up on the screen. Um, okay. Two New York cops at a surprise shootout with a domestic abuser in Queens who just shows up and starts firing. The cops wounded, but continued firing as they fell to the ground, their own blood all around, saving lives. A warning, this video is very graphic. I was news reporter Joe Torres with the video released today. Joe? Bill, this shooting happened in November, two days before Thanksgiving. The video from the officer's body-worn cameras shows a pair of veteran officers escorting a domestic violence victim back to her home in Springfield Gardens, Queens. The video also shows how those officers saved that woman's life when her abuser arrived at the home and started shooting. Uh, we'll go in with you just to make sure he's not here and everything's safe and okay. Two minutes later, police officers Christopher Wells and Joseph Murphy would quickly see things were neither safe nor okay. Uh, 
eight seconds of sheer terror recorded by the body camera of police officer Wells. Here are those same eight seconds from the camera of Officer Murphy. We stopped the video the moment one bullet struck him in the hand. The barrage started moments after 41-year-old Rondell Goppy arrived at the home on 179th Street in Springfield right there. Gardens. Here he is walking into the home, a gun clearly visible in his right hand. He says nothing before opening fire 11 times. Both officers returned fire, 9 shots from Officer Wells, 15 shots from Officer Murphy. Mr. Goppy died at the scene. Investigators found he had not one gun, but two. Mayor de Blasio and the police commissioner spoke shortly after the Here we have a situation where a woman was in danger and these officers went to protect her only to find themselves in harm's way immediately. The shooting left both officers injured. A bullet hit Officer Wells in his right thigh and fractured his femur. Another bullet hit Officer Murphy in both hands. The domestic violence victim was unharmed. I guess, you know, I mean, there's a lot to unpack, but at least we didn't send the uh, social workers out there to manage that. Could you well, manage? you know something, the amazing thing about that, and I think that's great that the public gets to see that, that whole incident took eight seconds. And in those eight seconds, those two officers fired 24 shots. Yeah. And luckily, they killed that guy. And I say luckily because he intended bad things to happen to them, obviously. And then, you know, the press, I just, it, it sort of gets sickening the way they're like, oh, we warn you, this is graphic. I mean, they love that it's graphic, you know? <laughs> and they're trying to warn you, oh, this is graphic. And then when I see that dirtbag of a mayor get up there, I, I just, he does everything he can do to make the cop's job harder. And there he is standing up there. You shouldn't even be allowed to address them, you know? Yeah, I mean, it just, it, you know, it's expedient and, you know, it's uh, it's self-serving. I, I don't think any of us are, are fooled by it and you know and heaven forbid it you know any of one of those troops those officers were you know would have gone down i'm sure he, you know, he would have been there for the cameras for the funeral and, and, and everything else like that but but go back bill if you could to the you know to the uh, to the body worn being released you know and, and good on him for releasing that because you know far too frequently the only time we see you know body worn is you know is you know an officer involved in some kind of questionable or uh um a questionable officer-involved shooting, you know, that, that you know, may or may not have been justified uh, far infrequently, far too infrequently. Are they releasing body-worn camera video footage of officers operating in heroic kind of manner, de-escalating right. situations, saving a life like 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 they did here? I mean, you scroll through YouTube right now, put, a, put the keyword in there, body-worn camera, and I dare you, every single last one of them is officer-involved shooting, officer-involved shooting, racial this with an officer-involved shooting, in-custody death, white cop, black suspect. Um, it's it's kind of encouraging to see that some are taking a more strategic approach, releasing body-worn camera that shows officers saving a life instead of, you know, a, they you know tragically, they had to take a life here. But um, it was it's all- It's not tragic. He got what he deserved. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm of the mind. Look, and, and yeah. maybe, maybe you notice I'm, I'm not on the police department anymore. I'm not in public relations. That guy got what he deserved, and people need to know if you shoot at the police, they're going to kill you because they're better shots than you are. You know. Well, yeah, and the alternative would have been entirely unacceptable because we're talking about innocent lives that were on the lines there. The, the police officers, notwithstanding. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, good on them for getting some positive life save. That was like, I mean, there's no you, you could. That's not a bank shot. This is an hyperbole. That was life-saving work there. And we don't yeah. see that. We don't see that nearly enough. What we see is that what what gets requested from the press when there's a questionable shooting or a shooting that may not may not be justified. And that's really short-sighted from a strategic approach and something that I'm trying to convince more and more police departments I work with. You gotta start showing this kind of life-saving work, this de-escalation work, you know, this monumental work that, that's being done. Because if if you're an outsider and you're not immersed in the business like like we are. And you're just, you know, Joe Schmo banker and you're looking at YouTube. Everything is, you know, racial this and officer involved shooting that and shooting unarmed suspect. The, the other, it's just, it just, it doesn't square with reality. And um, it's, right. it's just encouraging to see somebody thinking strategically enough to get this kind of content out there like this. Absolutely. And you know something, it, it's a shame that, 
it's it's a, a lot of times it's done to calm the community down too because we've seen uh, perfectly justifiable shootings across this nation and they resulted in riots. And when you try to explain to these people, the officer was shot at. There's something called Article 35 of the penal law, at least in New York, that is justification. And he had every justification to protect his own life by using deadly physical force. Yeah, but you know, you look at some of the bigger ones, the ones that have really gone sideways and they've just been, you know, state of emergency and, and flat out riots uh, for, for days. Look, all situations and OIS and situations like that, they're all unique, they're all dynamic. You know, they all offer their own unique set of circumstances. But I, I tell you, if you want to see all the ones that went off the rails and you, and you did have riots that ensued, you want to find a common thread, the common thread is the, the void and the lag in communication. You go Ferguson, you go Baltimore, you go down the line. It's not necessarily the incident itself. Again, they're all unique. And then look at Ferguson. You had weeks before anybody said a freaking word. How do you think these narratives? You know, are Rob, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up that case because we didn't know what happened for days and Dude, days. I'm we thought, I'm as we thought the gentle come. giant was a saint. I but, thought he was going to wear a priest collar, you know? I'm as blue as they come, Bill. You know, yeah. but two weeks of a lag, the, the only information I have is a, a kid was walking up the street, jaywalking, uh, and some, some white cop shoot, shoots him without any kind of without any kind of uh, perspective, context, or even even any information whatsoever that was released. I'm ready to head to Ferguson and light something on fire. It's two weeks before we know that the kid's strong arm robbery steals the cigars, punches the cop in the face so hard he practically broke the kid's uh, orbital bone, tries to wrestle his, his his gun out of his out of his holster. Takes us two weeks to get this. Yeah, I mean, we could we could scream and cry and yell about the media and activists and everything else like that all day. But until we're going to take some ownership as a profession and say we're going to manage the message and get out there and be proactive and not give others the opportunity to fill in our blanks for us, shame on us. You're going to see a hundred more Fergusons. Rob, that's what you what you do is so important. It really is because many police departments don't do it well. You know, yeah, yeah they die, but they are coming around. It's a shame you know, that it takes, it takes situations like Ferguson for them to come around, but they're coming around. You know, one of the things also, not to re-report the whole Ferguson thing, is that physical evidence does not lie. People lie. And when the blood of the perpetrator was inside the, the police vehicle and the spent shells were inside the police vehicle and the other evidence that the officer was punched in the face and all those things, the struggle where there was exchange of evidence on both of their bodies, that you can't refute that. So when the, the, the perp's friend was telling a fictional story and the physical evidence told exactly the opposite, you know, then we have to put the physical evidence out there and explain to these naysayers, no, physical evidence is the absolute 100% truth. You can't lie about it. Well, you know what a lot of the pushback I get from, you know, the, those are, that are in the profession, the, especially from investigations and executives is we can't release this because it'll jeopardize the case. The case will be tossed, this, that, and the other. And I always say, and let me circle back, you know, hey, you know, uh, Captain, how long you been in the business? I, you know, I've been in the business 28 years. I said, how many cases have been tossed or the DA wouldn't take or they declined to prosecute because he released too much information to the, to the media? And then, you know, I'm like, what, 15, 20, 30 cases? I mean, you've been doing this for 28 years. So obviously, there's got to be a lot of them, right? None of, nobody can come up with one, ever. Right, right, right. It's a freaking unicorn. So I'll flip it. I'll say, all right, how many stories were taken out of context, sensationalized, or just reported flat out incorrectly because not a, enough information was released? I mean, I, I, I could think of three or four just in the last week. You know, right. that's how these things start to bubble up. It's that void, it's that lag in, in, in information and communication that oftentimes prompts a lot of these dust-ups. And, and it's uh, a shame because it's so damn preventable. We just got to get out of our own way and 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 dispense of this, this old way of doing things, man. Usually the information that you get um, about the, the situation from the perp's point is from people doing their own homework, outside sources. It's never coming from... The police department. There's no, no, no way. You know, he's been arrested a hundred times. Uh, no, no, no way. You know, he, he's. He, they. It's always coming from an outside source that you know reporting it. They did their home, their own homework. 
Well, you know, that's a, a mark. That it, I remember my first officer-involved shooting that I, I covered as a reporter. It was in a, a small city in Virginia. White cop, black kid, middle of the day, challenged neighborhood, spent the better part of seven hours trying to figure out whether it was a clean shoot, whether it was a questionable shoot, because nobody would say a damn word. And I got a six o'clock story that I got to file for the broadcast that night. And I'll tell you what an option. I didn't have the option to go to my news director and say, hey, cops aren't saying anything. We're going to have to we're going to have to scrap the story. Maybe we'll come back next week when the cops are talking. No, get out there, cover the story. You're going to file a story. And what, what other option do I have? So what do I do to your point? Walk around the neighborhood, start shaking hands. You know, as well as I do, you roll one of those news trucks out into a community. People are coming out of the woodwork and everybody wants 15 minutes. And that happened. You had, you had an older guy who was really respected in the community, had some less than flattering things to say about that department had some pretty blistering things to say about what he allegedly saw out there when he saw that cop kill an unarmed, unarmed black kid in cold blood in broad daylight in that community. So I call back to the public affairs office after I interview this guy. Nothing, nothing for their communications team. I'm about to go to air at six, and this is the narrative that's, that's cooking up. Nothing. Story airs. Shit starts friggin' flying. Now, thankfully, this was before the really before the inception of social media. The public affairs or the communications director says, well, if you would have looked out there on the scene, you would have saw that there was a gun lying right next to the chain link fence by the body. Oh, now I'm a freaking detective. I'm supposed to figure this out. Right, exactly. I'm to communicate that because now this story's in the ether. And not only is it in the ether, but it's getting people really worked up. And we've seen this freaking show before. Unarmed kid gunned down by 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 a, by a, a, a police officer. You know, and they, and they got the genie back in the bottle and, and got it squared up and wound up putting a press release and even pictures of the gun out um, in the nick of time before things were starting to get broken and, and things lit on fire. But I mean, we do it to ourselves time and time and time again, man, and and love to blame everybody else oftentimes for our problems, man. We can't manage or control what, what the media is. We just can't. You know, they can in China. We just can't do that here. Right. What we can do is manage what we're going to release and how we're going to communicate and how transparent, I dare I say transparent, I know it's, it's white noise and, and almost cliche, but it's an important word, right? We can manage so much more than we do if we could just, again, break away from this whole paradigm that nothing to see here, active investigation, everybody's hiding under their desks. Rob, I, I want to show you this because here was a public relations guy in the Atlanta case giving information and to his left, which should be to his right, uh, uh, as we look at it, is the governor. And she, if looks could kill, he would have been dead. I, want, I just want you to watch this. Um, Can't hear it, Bill. Can't hear it, I'm sorry. Let me just uh, remove him from the screen. I don't know why it uh, was that low. What happened was, I'll just tell you what happened. He was reporting the case as a not a Asian bias incident, but as that this guy had some um, sexual problems. And he was uh, relaying that that's what the investigation revealed. That was the cause of it. And the governor was not having it. And I think he was like removed from his job after that what wasn't having it because it wasn't advancing the narrative that this was some kind of asian hate crime yes yeah 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 I, you know I, I do some work in here locally with, with some press and uh with a, a major city police department here i'm not going to talk too much about that but but i will say following that they they all started doing public records requests on just the, the level of the rate of asian victimization here and uh, we had analysts collect all the data for this police department i was working with and 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 communicated back to them that there what there just wasn't any rate of Asian victimization, much less a spike in it. And they you know they tried every which way, but 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 Sunday to to, to try to shove this square peg into the round hole. Guys, it's not a story. Yet you know, why are you trying to generate one? I know the New York Times says it's a story, and you're, you're kind of taking your orders from mothership here. But there's, but there's not a story. So so you see something like that, you're witness to that uh, that display in Atlanta, and, and it, it's not surprising. It's not surprising. No. Well, because it, it tells a, a completely different story. It's about, well, a massage parlor. That's not, they, they offer more than just the massage. 
you know? So because if he's got this sexual addiction and he's returning to the places that he um, he frequents, because they're part of the problem, you know, whatever his uh, mental couple, I don't know what his mental culpability was, but you know what I'm saying? It just brings in a whole completely different narrative right now. It's not somebody looking to kill Asians. It's looking to kill uh, prostitutes or what he considers uh, prostitutes, I guess. Well, you know, you yeah. don't want to you don't want a victim shame, but you also want the truth out there, you know. And they were calling the manager of this um, massage parlor just you know just a very sweet lady who's the manager. <laughs> no one said that she's the madam. She is a potentially a human trafficker because this is a massage parlor that employs people that you know are brought here to take a job in the sex industry which a massage parlor is. And if you read the New York Times, you would have thought this happened at a uh, at a church or a synagogue, you know? <laughs> they didn't mention any of that stuff. None of it, you know? Yeah, and I, I do, I, it's not lost to me. It is a tightrope to walk and, and not victim, you know, regardless of what you do, the high-risk behavior that you may be engaged in, nobody deserves to go like that or, or to be victim, victimized like that. It's just incredible that, you know, the, those in, in, in the press uh, and others, politicians who, you know, have, uh, you know, their own agendas want to manufacture this kind of story when, when, when it, it's, it's not a story. And let, and let, come on, let's, let's be honest, politics aside, regardless of how, how you land, what's the, what's the big play here that, you know, they still have this craven, just infatuation with the, with the former president. And is, is it because, you know, you know, the, he called it the China virus. And now because of those words that, you know, people are lashing out and victimizing Asians uh, as a result of, you know. Of, of Listen, it's, there's no doubt it's happening. There's no doubt it's happening. But, I mean, if you're, the problem is a lot of times it seems like uh, the people that are mentally unstable, a lot of these attacks that are happening are uh, older people walking down the street and, um, you know, they're being blindsided, hit, you know, out of nowhere for no reason at all. So it's definitely happening. Um, but just in regards to that, it just bothers me that, you know, you wouldn't mention that fact like uh, or it's wrong to mention the fact that, you know, what was the guy's motive? As far as we know, this is what he said. You know what I'm saying? So I'm reporting to you what the perpetrator said to us, the reason why he did it. You take with it what you want, you know. Um so that's the point I was trying to make. I wasn't trying to say that these things aren't happening. I mean, they're definitely happening. Sure. Um, right. But in this incident, it wasn't the narrative that they were pushing. And, you know, investigation is an art and a science, you know. And part of the art is getting the suspect to make a statement, to give a confession. And he did. Uh -huh. And he didn't say that he hated Asian people or that he killed them because of that. He said it was because of his sexual... Uh, proclivities that he had that was banned by his church so you either believe your investigators or send some social workers to interview this guy you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying sure sure yeah and it, and it doesn't uh, obviously it doesn't reconcile with you know with whatever the narrative is that they, they want to advance and i guess you know that chief in, in atlanta that you had referenced uh, i guess he's victim of it now and you know pushing paper somewhere uh, in the apartment now living in obscurity and probably never to be heard from again. I heard they transferred him to Midtown South. <laughs> well, yeah. He can wind up in a hell of a lot of worse. <laughs> hope he knows where all the coops are because there's some damn good ones there. Mark, do you want to do the commercial? Well, yeah, why not? Uh, here we go. So, uh, hey, guys and gals, just so you know, we're sponsored by the best uh, hot sauce that's on the market right now. It's called Silk City Hot Sauce. And they have a lot of amazing flavors from mild to wild. Uh, please visit the website, SilkCityHotSauce.com, and uh, put in a, what is it, OTC for off the cuff, and you'll get a 15% discount. And trust me, I've been putting it on my food all the time. I've, I've dropped uh, 10 pounds. The only the only joy that I have in my food right now, because everything that I'm having is bland, is I, I put a little couple of drops of this hot sauce, and it flavors it right up. Trust me, you'll love it. Thank you so much. And visit SilkCityHotSauce.com. Well, that was much smoother. Yeah. You yeah. Say that. Every week you say that. You did. <laughs> the third week in a row you said that. <laughs> you dropped weight, man. Look at you. you did a little chiseled jaw going here and everything like that. Yeah, I've been doing, I've been doing a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, the eating, I had to change my eating. I had a lot of stomach pain, man. I had it, got off meat for a while. 
Well, you live that lifestyle too, right? What you do in the clubs and the and the comedy thing, and you know, it's it's the yeah. Comedy. But I got an air fryer over the corona of the, of the <laughs> pandemic, and I just started cooking. You know, doing recipes and cooking stuff. I was eating meat like three times a day. Uh, you know, and so it's not it's not good for you, especially with my age. Yeah, yeah, you, know? you look good. You look good. You know, it's all coming together. You know, Rob. One of the things that you know in crisis uh, communication. Do you remember the Beltway Sniper? Yeah, sure. uh, and I mean, there was a case that if there would just terrified the community. Yeah, they were the so Moose prolific with Chief Moose. Yes, and I thought Chief Moose did an excellent job. Yeah. I really do. And they gave the information to the public every single day because a lot of false information got out there. The whole thing with the panel truck, the white panel truck, that was never true. You know, many things weren't true. And he, I think Chief Moose, I mean, he probably was on a under a ton of pressure to hand the case over to the FBI, uh, which he didn't do. I'm sure they helped support it. But when the when the case was over, the local police made the arrest, which had to make them all very happy, even though it was a very, very uh, tragic case. Yeah, and I think that's a really good case study, just from a communications perspective. He didn't give any daylight or opportunity for these false narratives to kind of to spin up. He was out there constantly, you know, on the daily, sometimes more than once a day, communicating facts, putting to bed, and you know, any kind of kind of kind of fiction, and you know, um, wound up bringing some resolution and and getting those, and you know, and and uh, that really put him on the radar. Wrote a you know best selling book uh, because of it, and. Uh, but again, a, a case study on how it, how it could and arguably should be done, getting out there, communicating proactively, and uh, and telling your story, man. Yeah, it's it's so important uh, because you know communities they people start spreading rumors. You know how you're a cop. You know how cops spread rumors, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a rumor we're not getting having any RDOs for the next two months. <laughs> yeah, what is it? What does that do? It causes panic, right? <laughs> yeah. It does. Yeah, it does get you to go they sick. They used to call it the police department, the rumor mill, or yeah. they should have had a, like an office of rumors, right? Yeah, and and you know what, and well, you know we giggle and everything like that, but no, that that that's a that's an issue, and no less of an issue now, given this social media world that that we're living in, man. You know, so you know a, a whisper campaign or, or a little bit of a rumor mill could be troublesome. Now it's a disaster in this climate that we're operating in because it, you know, that that misinformation travels at the speed of light, and the next thing you know, you're on your heels. And, uh, and and you're trying to make up lost ground. Primacy is the name of the game in crisis, man. You've got to be the first one out there. Primacy. You got to get out there first. Tell your story first because this is what people remember. That's what starts to uh, generate and and drive and shape a uh, public perception. It's usually you know, Bill. You got kids. Yeah. You, well, they're 26 and 28. They I used mean, to you remember when they were small. You know, you, you yeah. Susie comes in and says, you know, Tommy just just hit me. Uh, just hit me and. You know, you're, you're, you're ripping him into ass, you know, quit hitting your sister. You know, that's what kind of what, what kind of sticks with you. Well, you know, if you would have really figured it out in the, in the long run, it was, you know, Tommy was the, the one who, who uh, or Susie was the one who was doing all the shit starring. And, um, right, right. You know, but, but she managed to get the primacy in there. Primacy is incredibly important and not allowing daylight for others who don't have usually quite frequently don't have our best intentions at heart to just start spinning up these these narratives and immediately get a hold of that uh, that that public perception and, and more importantly start driving it so well you were a cop first and then you became a reporter so it, it you know you have like this perfect entryway into what you're doing right now just because you know the way cops work and uh you know the way the media works and if you can control the narrative even you're not trying to control it but just bring up a, a what really happened or or the other side of it but in a timely fashion, like you mentioned, two weeks of Ferguson and stuff like that, these departments, they, they got to get consultants and they got to get people like you almost immediately, or they should have somebody on staff. You know, I'm surprised. Well, what, I'm sorry. Like with the NYPD, is DCPI doing that? Are they doing what your job is? Yeah, they, and they've got, you know, you have your garden variety public information officers or public affairs officers who are just, you know, they're just specialists in your garden variety communications. You know, that's a far cry from your crisis communicator. That's a completely different animal. NYPD's in, a, in an enviable position where they've got crisis communications experts on staff as part of their 
their um, their public information office through DCPI. There, most police departments, even major city police departments, do not. So you know, you're, you you've got these you know these specialists in there that could do your garden variety communicating. But when when it hits the fan and you have you know an OIS or you know other some uh, critical incident that that could generate heavy media scrutiny and public outcry. Um, frequently, they're going to have to bring me in on, on the back end, and that's what what frequently does happen. So, you know, just finished up a contract in uh, Bangkok with the uh, Royal Thai Police. They had some issues going on out there with some institutional reform that they were that they were trying to deliver. And uh, um, in West Africa now, with Liberia, they just got a new Inspector General there who's trying to arguably turn over and re I don't want to say reimagine, but uh, but 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 re redevelop arguably one of the most corrupt police departments. Um, and that's not me saying it, it's Amnesty Inter International saying it uh, on, on the face of the planet. So um, that's where I come in usually on the back end uh, after the genie's already out of the bottle. You know, Rob, one of the things that um, the New York City Police Department tries to be so transparent to a fault, because I was in the detective squad and they would, uh, well, homicide, they would release things that we didn't want released, but obviously it was above our pay grade. We didn't make the decisions of what gets released, and to the point where they would sometimes really hurt a case. But give me an example, Bill. I hear that so much, and I, I just—it's it, almost like that red herring thing. And you know, I—and I'm not saying I, I have an excellent example. Uh, we had this murder of this 90-year-old Holocaust survivor, and. We identified all the perps, and we were going out that morning to go to arrest them. And I get a call from DCPI, and it's let's call him Detective Cheese, all right? Detective Cheese calls me and says, what's going on with the case, Sarge? I said, uh, we got all the perps I did. We're going out um, to get them right now. And he goes, yeah. And I go, what do you mean, yeah? He goes, what are their names? No, I said, I'm not giving you their names because we need statements. And if if you put their names in the paper, they're all going to lawyer up and we will get statements. This little detective cheese hands the phone to the inspector, but tells him what I just said. And the inspector comes on the line screaming at me. Who are you to decide what gets allowed? You know, and I, I just lied on the spot. I said, inspector. Chief so-and-so told me not to tell you. <laughs> and that held him off. He was like, you have him call me. I'm like, yeah, the chief's going to rush to call you, Inspector, you know? So they wanted you to, or they wanted to communicate the names publicly before you guys even had a time, uh, even had an opportunity yes. to, to, yes. to lock them up. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's just irresponsible. Absolutely. It is, but that's, the, the New York City Police Department did that a lot. They really did that a lot. There's another case that I think of that, to me, was horrendous. There was a little Hasidic boy, his name was Leiby Kletzel, and he was kidnapped off the street. The first day he ever walked home from school by himself, he was kidnapped by another Hasidic man who was a pedophile. And the guy kept him for like days, took him to a wedding, was hanging out with him. Then he, he chopped him up. Parts of him were in his refrigerator and parts of him were in a dumpster down the block. Did that need to get released to the public? The circumstances? Just how yeah. it reads circumstance. Yeah. No. no. I don't think so either, but they did. They did what's release it. Yeah. What, what's what's the benefit of, you know, being, you know, and, and just think about the, the 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 young boy's family. You know, it's bad enough having to live it, you know, and knowing, yeah. that, but but it being broadcast, you know, through the community. Oh, horrible. Like, what was the need that the public needed to know that? They didn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, well, you know I mean, better, better in the media, you know, with the, that, it's sensational. Yeah. yeah it's, it's an art. It's a, it's a tough thing. It's a tough call because, you know who makes who who makes the decision there? Uh, the if, police if, commissioner in that one. Yeah, but right. also too, like you talk about transparent. Well, that's something that's not uh, transparent. You don't need to know that. You know, what well, you know what? I know we're thrown around a lot, Mark, and uh, and it's almost becoming white noise. I, I think that there's a, a distinction though between transparency and, and responsible transparency. Mm -hmm. Some things that we're you know that we're communicating it like like with that case. I, I think it's just irresponsible. Well, you know, look at the um, look at that track. Uh, the the sneaker print. From uh, the Night Stalker, was it the Night Stalker? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, if you watch it on Netflix, the Night Stalker. And you yeah. know who released that, Mark? Do you remember? What? Do you remember well, who? 
Well, what happened? Well, yeah, it was uh, it was the mayor at the time, Diane Feinstein. Yeah, so she. Well, they gave it to her, like I guess, in confidence. Oh yeah, they got it. Somebody gave it to her. You know. No, and, you know what it was? It was some little bucket of a chief trying to get his ticket punched, and says, <laughs> says, "Hey, you want to know something that no one else knows?" And uh-huh. then she goes to the press conference and releases it. Uh-huh. You think the Night Stalker ever wore those sneakers again? Yep. Yeah, I think yeah, sometimes it's just a bridge too far, you know. However, that you know what I find in my travels is that there's just not enough that's going out. It's never too much, you know. It's um, it's uh, far too frequently. It's 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 not enough. And well, I mean, it's the difference between a a case against the victim and then a police involved shooting or something like that. It's you know, you're 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 on that end. You know, you're trying to, um, you know. Tell the story from uh, from the police point of view. Yes, yeah, and to your point, and I, I'm not sure if it was your bill. Not not to spin it up, you know. That's it's almost a four letter word. My my business, it really is. I know it's really actually is a four letter word, but but uh, you know, it's uh, just to deliver that context and that perspective, and and set the narrative where it belongs, instead of allowing others to spin up this this false narrative that we far too frequently. Are, are, are witness to, you know, that's, that's, that's what it's, what it's all about. You know, I hope that there's going to come a point and maybe I'm being Pollyannish and naive that, you know, that, that there's no need for a guy like me, that the police departments just catch on and just say, gosh, we can manage this. There's no shame or, you know, um, there's no, there's nothing we should be worried about in, in getting out there and, and communicating our story first and providing context and perspective. And, and 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 it's not even that we're communicating to the media. You know, we're, they're just a vessel to get us to the community. I don't, at the end of the day, they, you know, I, some of my best friends are in the press, but at the end of the day, I don't care what the media thinks. I really don't. But I care a lot what society thinks about this profession, right? The media is just merely a vehicle to get to society. And whether we want to believe it or not, they wield enormous reach, influence, and um even a level of of trust, although that, that that's waning right now, especially over the last year or so. So I, I think that's the, the lens we have to look at it through. Leverage that that influence and reach that they wield to get to our society, to get to our communities by um, by by leveraging the influence and the reach of the press. Well, hey, you know, Ron, want to give a shout out to the people that tuned in. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Ed Stackpole, hello, uh, Sheila. Princess Mitch, MC's Audio, Boxing MMA, Peter Pranzo, one of our best fans, Lieutenant Peter Pranzo, retired, uh, Boxing MMA. Jerry Kane is on board. <laughs> What's up, Jerry? Another Midtown Souther. He's there, you know. He's still he's still enjoying those meals in the South. 12-step woman, uh, Anna Benenia Strell, um, Christopher Strom, one of our best fans. Good Higgs, man. Uh, he was on the show. Hey, Chris was on the show, right? Chris is great. Yeah, he's got a book out, Brooklyn to Baghdad. Yeah. Drunk Not I Am. I love that. <laughs> no, there was a guy who used to tend bar, and there was a guy whose name was Cowboy Don, and he, he says to me one day, he goes, the drunker I stay here, the longer I get. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember that. I said, Don, do you mean the longer I stay here, the drunker I get? <laughs> I loved it, you know? Sandra good. Rivera. Princess Mitch, Chris Charles, uh, pretty much. I think I got B Higgs. I pretty much got everybody. I think. Yeah, what I think that's. You? Did I miss anybody? Twelve Step Woman. Did I miss you? No. No, you, you mentioned her. Vivian um, Puglia. She was one of my students at Monroe College, and she's a Marine. Hooyah! I had to say that. To oh, her. That's great. I hope she's still listening. You know. Also, um, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do. And if you're uh, if you really want to help us out, we have a Patreon page. And uh, Bill, we have one one gentleman here. Our guest tonight is dipped in butter. Tell them all about it. Oh, <laughs> we have three tiers on our Patreon. The first one for seven dollars a month, uh, you're called the Bucket. For nine dollars a month, you get to polish my rack. And for eleven dollars a month. You get to dip them in butter. Whatever you want to dip in butter, you can do. But you get all kinds of extra content on our Patreon. Some people actually even pay more money just because they love us so much. But thank you very much for all our Patreon people. So you're out there in North Carolina. What do you do? Fly around the world to help these people out? Yeah, essentially. You know, it's, uh, 
last year is is has calmed down somewhat because of, you know the, the limits with travel but uh but yeah yeah you know i got a day gig too and but uh you know the side hustle is uh is is really what what kind of drives me and um and uh and and keeps me uh getting out of bed every morning i, I couldn't get out of new york quick enough and you know it's, it's funny you know you wouldn't believe well maybe you guys probably would all the uh, all the mos that are just getting out of dodge out of the snake pit up there and, and heading down here you know, yeah, it seems like that's the destination point. Yeah, lateral and over, and um, you know, our game down here. You know, getting some really squared away, experienced, uh, you know, guys and and women from up there, and uh, it's just it's just a shame. You know, I haven't been up there in a while, uh, but I, I'm not, I'm hearing it's not that great, huh? Sandra Sandra Rivera actually lives in Charlotte. She wants to know if you need an assistant. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she she uh she runs she's out there running and walking nine miles a day and she listens to us and um i, I always i always say this but I, I sure hope she never gets a car <laughs> but uh yeah no rob's in charlotte mecklenburg right rob yeah 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 uh, what college is in, in charlotte uh uncc university of north carolina charlotte um we're I'm about an hour and a half or so away from uh chapel hill uh, North that's Carolina. A, that's a big college town, Chapel Hill. I mean, you can't get into Chapel Hill unless you're a North Carolina state resident, pretty much, right? Well, I mean, if you want to be able to afford it, I mean, it's it's pretty costly. But you get oh, the unless you're seven foot two and can uh, uh, yeah, you can toss that ball into the hoop. Yeah, they've got a great basketball nice. program, and obviously Duke is here and uh, NC State, and uh, yeah, we've got some good schools here. You know, a wow. couple couple of hours from the mountains, a couple of hours from the beach. Uh, second my kids day. both my both my sons went to Elon in Burlington. That's a great, that's a great school. It's a wonderful. Yeah, it was school. very good. Yeah, you know. it's a, it's a, and a, you know what it is? They didn't get a dime. I had to pay for the whole thing. They were smart enough to get in, but not smart enough to get any money. You know, <laughs> you put in all that time. You know, you can't take it with you. You may as well pay it somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, let me ask you something. But you know, every time I ever like. I do some acting on the side. I do some commercials and stuff. Not enough, but I get disqualified for so many things because of my New York accent. That never came into play with you? Yeah, it's so funny. I, when I, before I left New York, when I was endeavoring to do this kind of thing, my I mean, I was my mine was thick, really. And I'm a Long Island guy. You know, by, Me you know, too. Sure. It's even worse, Long Island. Yeah. People would say when I was in Buffalo, this one professor said to me, he goes, where are you from? I said, New York. He goes, no, 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 no. Where are you from? I go, Long Island. He goes, I knew it. I knew it. I was like, oh, I didn't realize there was that regionalness, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's very telling. And uh, I paid a, a shit ton of money to get rid of the accent, knowing that I was going to get into this. And I tried to, man. She gave me my money back. She <laughs> <laughs> went to this lady's office right there in the, in the uh, downtown in the village there. She had pictures of Meryl Streep, Al Pacino, Robin, all on her wall that she trained them. To, to get to speak a certain dialect, right? I, I go there at my third session. She's handing me like six hundred bucks back. I'm like, "What's this?" In cash, she goes, "I, I don't think I can help you. I don't want to take you." I'm like, "What do you mean you can't help me?" She goes, <laughs> "She goes, you don't practice enough." I said, "I practice when I'm home. I can't practice at work. I'm a cop. What am I going to be? Thou art under arrest. Come hither." <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you, in hindsight, I wish. Well, you guys, I would never pay it. If I were to do it all over again, they, it's endearing. People love it down here. You know, they they, they all lean in. With the, they love the New York accent. And I, 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 you know, you get into the business, you want to be as generic as possible. You know, I, I even shed my right. name, Afano, when I started my first on-air gig. I went to Harrington, Rob Harrington, uh, my street name when I lived on Long Island in Lindenhurst. And, uh, you know, because I just wanted to be as generic as possible. In hindsight, right. like, what the hell was I doing? I should have just have kept it, not paid to... You know, to shed the accent, and uh, it plays well. It lands really well down here. And I you think know, you always cool. wondered how did how did Sean Connery get over all those years, and Marlon Brando, and uh, you know, I get you know Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. How did they all get? You know, uh, they know. they had a semblance of New York accents. I mean, not not Sean Connery, but he had an even thicker one, like a Welsh accent, right? Yeah, or you could flip it, and you know, you look at someone like Madonna, who's got a, a British accent, and she's from Detroit. I don't know how the hell that happened. Yeah, that's well. I tell you what, you know, it's funny. I, I uh, before this uh, Corona thing, I had this part on the FBI's uh, Most Wanted, and the lead actor there, uh, you've seen him before. He was in the uh, the Fantastic Four. He was the leader there, but he, I think, he's from Australia. 
Um, the 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 lead actress there, she was from England. Um, everybody was uh, there was a guy there from South Africa, and you know we're all talking, and then uh, you know there everybody's talking in their own accent. And then all of a sudden, when they say action, then they go, everybody jumps into their other, their, their American, you know, the way they speak American, perfectly. The only person that stood the same way the whole time was me. Amazing. <laughs> I, I hate it. I, I kick out of my accent. I wouldn't change a thing if I got Oh, man, it's, it's endearing. People love that, you know? Yeah. Well, then why do like news directors not like it when you? I think they do. I think that no, I, I I do. I think that plays well anywhere in the country Mm -hmm. now, man. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, right now, nobody's going to pay me to do Shakespeare. But if you want, uh, you know, chubby New York ex-cop man, I'm ready to roll. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready to roll. I can't wait. You know, when I had Tommy Dades on, who's from Brooklyn, and my and myself, you know, a Brooklyn accent is very distinct and. You know, you sound like a wise guy, you know, when they and when I have him and Larry Mazza on together, you know, the, the fans are going to go crazy hearing those accents, you know. <laughs> it's next week, right? You got that going next week? Well, August, uh, excuse me, April 6th. It's on a Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. Oh, that's awesome, man. And I'm going on vacation on the 10th. I'm going to Isla Morada and I'm going to do a, when I catch a gigantic swordfish, I'm going to film that in a live broadcast. Oh, yeah, I, want a piece of swordfish, man. I, I had some swordfish the other night i and can't go out to the ocean my son's a little wimp he won't he won't go out where the waves are you know i was gonna say if you catch a swordfish uh put it in that box with the with the uh the dry ice and send it to me yeah i love swordfish man It'll anyway we, listen we reached the hours uh i want to make sure that we get uh all the plugs in where we can we, we can uh, get your stuff so i'm a police department right now we're in a shit storm. I need the fixer to come in. How do I get in touch with the fixer? Uh, you can go to my website, tofanomedia.com. You hit me on uh, face, Facebook, uh, Tofano Media Group, and uh, LinkedIn, just under my name, Rob Tofano. Probably the easy, three easiest ways to get me. Now, Rob, I saw your website, and you have a lot of people working for you. Is that Are you the president or... Uh... Are you just a member of the hair club for men? <laughs> yeah, I'm the purveyor. Yeah, I'm the I'm the guy over there, and I, I've got uh, got some retired and even current uh, law enforcement that, that 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 are good enough to work for me, and and some communications experts uh, that I bring in, some videographers. We also produce uh, recruitment videos uh, for different departments around the country, and do a lot of marketing and and branding. And um, if, if, if if I move down there to uh, where, where were you again? Charlotte, North Carolina. You think I get me throw me a job, maybe smacking somebody around? I decide. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I got a list. I got just, a list. You just know? pour it and the shit out of me. Just tell me. <laughs> you want me to, I'm, I'm that guy. I just woke up yeah. to people and start smacking them around. Yeah. And that list is voluminous. For <laughs> sure. That's a New York thing. Just <laughs> smacking them around. So, Rob, do, do the uh, Charlotte people. Uh, the the natives from Charlotte, do they like people from New York? Yeah. Hey, look, my neighborhood, it's a, you know, I just may as well still be living on Long Island. I mean, I know, really. It's I really next door, Jersey across the street. I got Bay Ridge just a couple of doors down. You'd be hard pressed to find a native down here now. The, the northern exposure down here is just incredible. Well, you know, it's funny. James uh, Shanahan, who has been on the show, and he's, he's in business with um, Jack Cambria. They, um, mm-hmm. You know, they were hostage negotiators and they do the um, de-escalation of force training all over the place. He's living down in Cary, North Carolina. I said, you might as well be in Pearl River. It's like Cop Town, USA, Cary, North Carolina, right? Very affluent community, uh, Cary. Yeah. No kidding. Some money. Yeah, some jack out that way for sure. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I'm sure you're happier down there than up here. Yeah, I mean, I, I miss the culture. I miss the food. Uh, you know, I kind of miss the vibe and and everything else like that. But you know, for the cost of the living and the you know the safety and the the, the sunshine and you know the the no bullshit. I mean, it's hey, listen. Awesome. This day and age, if you if you really wanted to have a good bagel, they they the fly them to you on dry ice. <laughs> they fly you to five pizza pies from your favorite pizzeria. They just yeah, you can't dry ice. Put no bagels, no pizza, no Chinese food down here. It's just, uh, it's obscene, but, you know, it's a trade-off. It's the water, man. 
I'm yeah. sure there's people that try, but it's just the water. It's that New York City. Um, you get that brown gook. It's like a black gook that you get all around your faucet <laughs> and stuff like that. But you didn't realize that that's the same thing that makes a great bagel and a great slice. Yeah, but you know, Mark, you know where that water comes from? It comes from the Croton Reservoir up in Westchester. Uh huh. Right by that's the where the New York City water comes from. Right by the palatial estates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. It's true. That's what they always say. The best bagels is because how how the New York City water reacts to the dough, and the same thing with bagels. You know, yeah. maybe something to that. You know, I mean, I've tried a lot of pizza, a lot of bagels down here, and they all slap New York signs on the. You know, right. yeah, it, there's nothing, nothing that even comes close. And I mean, I'm down here for 15, 15 years now, and uh, no success, no luck. You know, they had uh, years ago, they had some wise guys. They just got tanker trucks with water and drove them down south. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think that's lucrative. It costs a lot of money, I think. Yeah, effective, effective. But you, I tell you, you guys come down, you're never going to go back. You know, when you see what you can get for your money down here, and uh, it's just a different way of living. Yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah. Nice yeah no, listen, uh, especially right now with what's going on here, and, you know, you get a little bit older, you don't want to deal with the weather anymore, so who knows? Well, you were talking just the other night, right? What you were, you know, you were thinking Florida, right? Is that yeah, I would like to move there eventually. You know, I mean, how much more can you do between the taxes and the nonsense? I know it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, this this uh, pandemic, you know, really sh <laughs> showcased, um, you know, state by state and where, where you know, where you feel more comfortable at. Amen. For you sure. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah I do. And uh, New York is not the place right now. Uh, it's it's tough getting by, but you know, hopefully we're, we're getting a lot of federal money coming in right now, so uh, that's part of it. So that we're, hopefully they'll use it wisely, and we'll be able to bounce back. Yeah, here. but you're not getting any of it, and neither am I. No, I'm just saying <laughs> we're going to pay for it. <laughs> any businesses that that manage to stick around, manage to hold out, you know, they're, yeah. they're at their last. If they can get some funding, and if maybe who knows, if there was somebody else who you know could get back into business or give it out for uh, small business loans and let them start again, whatever. We need to get jump, jump start this thing over here. Otherwise it's, uh, you know, what are you going to do? All right. Toughest place on the face of the planet. You guys are going to bounce back. No doubt in my mind. You know, I hope so, man. From your mouth to God's ears. Any hoot, man, this was a great episode. I Rob, you were a great guest. Thank you so much. And uh, for having Mark, me, guys. Mulitz, Mark Mulitz for introducing you to us. Best of luck to you. I am a big fan, and uh, can't wait to see what's coming down the pike with you guys. If yeah, I come down south, I'm going to look you up. Yeah, I'm coming yeah. down there, man. I'm coming yeah. to your job, man. Plenty of room. <laughs> Plenty of room. You need somebody smacked around, let me know. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it, gentlemen. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Thank Good you, night. all you guys listening to Police Off the Cuff After Hours. Thank you for listening.